Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning and what looks like a beautiful day. We've got some fall temperatures, a little bit cooler, but, you know, not that far above normal. And we're going to have a great week coming up, actually warmer than normal, but this looks like we're headed for some good fall weather. And there is a lot going on. The fall fishing bite is starting in a lot of locations. We're going to cover that quite a bit. We're going to get reports from uh, Nate Zielinski on hunting, from uh, Austin Parr on fishing. We're going to talk some shooting in a, just a couple minutes. Brad Peterson's going to join us. We're going to talk fishing and waterfowl hunting. We've got a lot to cover today. A lot of the stuff we covered today, I've also been featuring on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and on my Facebook uh, page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So you need to follow those and take a look. A lot of this information, you'll get additional information on those venues. But let's go right to the phones. And joining us, he's a frequent contributor to this show. He's been a long career in the fishing industry, starting back with the people at In Fisherman. He's a guide. He's an avid hunter and fisherman. Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. It uh, looks like a great day. You know, today's more of a typical fall day than we're going to get the next few days. It's going to be a little warmer. But we had that one cold spell that came in with the snow oh, almost a month ago. And that kind of set the stage to get the water cooling. And now with the water cooling and the nights cold enough that even when we get warm during the day, it doesn't reheat it, I'm starting to finally get reports that the fall bite is going on. And I also know you're going to bring us up to speed on the waterfall. But let's start with the fishing. Um, Are you starting to finally see those fall bites take off? Yeah, Terry, it's... (laughs) That snowstorm got us all really excited that fall was right around the corner. And then uh, this warm weather has kind of drug it out quite a bit. But uh, the last week I've really noticed, you know, some fish setting up in their traditional fall locations. And so it it is right around the corner for that. Uh, I would say our next cold snap would definitely set us up for the real good fall bite. But these cold mornings are dropping those water temperatures. You know, we were we were up in the upper 80s before that, la- or upper 60s before the last snowstorm that came in. And we're now fl- flirting with kind of that lower 60s range. And that's usually when that fall bite starts. So people should start getting excited. And the other thing that's happening is with the cooler water temperatures, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going around stocking uh, more trout in various locations. So uh, we've got the opportunity to get out and catch some great warm water fish and, and also get into some real fast action for some of those stalker trout. Oh, yeah, it's going to be everywhere. I know you made a trip to Glendo, and I want to cover that, but we'll get to it in a minute. Let's talk a little bit about some of the local stuff. You know, one of my favorite fall bites is the white bass at Boyd. Anything going on there? You know, they are just starting to kind of set up um, on some of the the bigger structure during the daytime and then during that low light period occasionally in the morning i'm seeing it more in the afternoon evenings you're starting to see some fish you know still boiling on those schools of shad so uh what i tell people if if you're wanting to do that 
you know, a blade bait or a jigging spoon, jigging wrap, something like that, to fish near the bottom. Uh, use your electronics, locate some fish. Once you catch a few white bass, the big schools, they're going to kind of stay in that general area. So kind of fish around, catch a few, but have a rod rigged with something that's going to, you know, either be a topwater lure or fish that top three, four feet of the water column. So when you see those boils, you can scoot over to them and make some casts. But I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when those boils are happening is they fire up their big motor and they run right in the middle of them. The best thing to yeah. do is get your boat kind of going that direction, turn the power off, and just coast right in. Well, and another thing, too, you mentioned, you know, a, a surface lure like a popper or maybe a small crankbait or even a jig. But have a rig ready for that that you can cast fairly far. Have something like a nanofill line on it or something and a heavy enough lure you want it sized right for them, but heavy enough that you can get some distance so you can make those casts from a distance too, Brad. Oh, that's that's a key. You know, the further you're able to cast, the more opportunities you're going to have as those schools kind of move without having to, you know, reposition your boat. And the shoreline anglers can kind of pay attention because there are some spots, the, the Marina Cove, um, up on the north end of Boyd, some of those areas are getting some of this activity as well. So there is opportunities for a shore angler to capitalize on some of this. So even if you're, you know, maybe bottom fishing for trout or catfish, um, have a rod rigged up. And as soon as you see that, reel your rod in, uh, your other rod in, and then fire out your uh, the rod you've got ready for the white bass. And you can catch several of those before usually they move off. And, wow, they're, they're just great fighters and a ton of fun to catch. Oh, they really are. Once, if you hit it right, the action can be nonstop. By the way, folks, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, I actually have a video there where I'm catching them on a little popper on top at, uh, at Boyd Lake, and it's incredible. Before we move to Glendo, which I want to talk about your Glendo trip, uh, are the lakes turning over? I haven't been out as much lately. I had some things I had to take care of. And we're getting to that point where, you know, this is going to affect the fish don't quit eating when it turns over, but they spread out. They're hard to find. Then they settle into patterns. You see the front range lakes turning over? They haven't started yet, but one of two things I think will cause that to happen. Either a really cold spell or a really big wind event. Either way, you know, the cold spell will drop the temperature enough that that cooler water on top will, will sink down and mix it up, or a big wind event will kind of mix up the whole system. So if we get, you know, a couple days of wind or a couple days of cool weather, I expect the turnover to happen. Usually it takes, you know, you like you say, you still can catch fish during it. They're just spread out. But about five days after turnover, they really start to get back in set up. And the nice thing is, once turnovers happen, they pretty much are set up in their fall pattern, and they're going to stay there, uh, just do minor moves until ice up. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the last comment on that before we go to Glendo is that sometimes if you catch those lakes right at turnover, you can actually have some pretty good fishing from shore because the oxygen levels are spread equally through the lake. The bait is spread equally through the lake. The temperature is pretty constant through the lake. A lot of these fish, 
they won't be grouped, but they'll venture to shore. So if you don't have a boat, it's a good time to be out. So tell us what you found at Glendale. From the information you gave me earlier, it looks like the walleye and the crappie were going. Yeah, Glendale, you know, it's a great fishery. It's about three hours from, you know, two and a half, three hours from northern Colorado. And um, the bite was pretty good. The first day it took us a little while to kind of locate the fish. Um, the lake has started to fill again, so the fish are moving a little bit different than where they had been for about the last month. But there, there again, the walleyes are starting to set up on, on a steeper break structure. So maybe a point or a flat that comes out has a steep break. They're going to either be just right up on the, the lip of that the flat or on the edge of that break are going to be your active fish. And um, that's that's pretty much all the way from the Red Canyon down to the dam. You're finding walleyes in there. And then crappies are, are also setting up in their fall pattern, which is, is those steep edges, uh, particularly along rock walls and stuff, where you can they can kind of push bait up in there. And the nice thing is, is once you find those crappies, the schools are really big right now, and the size of fish is pretty nice. I mean, you're talking a lot of a lot of crappies over 10, 12 inches. Now, I want to move on to waterfall, but quickly, what presentations were you using for the walleyes and the crappies up there? You know, the walleyes were a little bit on the finicky side. Um, guys were catching them on jig and minnows. But we found them more on jigging spoons than anything else. You know, we caught a handful of uh, flat wraps and, and blade baits, but the jigging spoon definitely produced the best. Crappies, we were just pitching them little jigs with plastics like you normally would. But the thing was, they were down about 15 feet. So you had to count it down and let it get down to the right depth um, to fish in that the strike zone and where those fish were. But once you figured it out, it was pretty steady action. Now let's move on from Glen. While you were at Glendale, you noticed waterfall. Now the I believe you can correct me because you're our waterfall guru. The uh, waterfall in the mountains started this weekend, and then the prairie next weekend. What are you hearing as far as ducks and geese? Yeah, the the uh, foothill mountain zone starts this weekend, and I'm hearing that there's some decent birds up that way. It's a great opportunity this year if you're wanting to go try uh, hunting North Park. If you're willing to put in the time to drive there, it could be a lot less crowded than normal because Highway 14 and then up through Wyoming are the traditional routes people take to get to North Park, at least from the northern front range, are all closed due to fires. So the people that are wanting to, to try that ought to give that an opportunity. Are the fires affecting uh, waterfall habit or migration right now? You know, they are a little bit. Uh, I've talked to some people right along the foothills there in Fort Collins that normally have a lot of geese and, and they have a local geese and the front range goose season is open. And uh, they said that birds have kind of moved out with the fire. And I don't think by moving out, they haven't headed south. They just are finding different areas that uh, they're not nearly as affected by the smoke. So, you know, if you're used to hunting certain spots, you might want to spend just a little bit of time scouting because the birds may have moved just a little bit due to the smoke. And I, as you get further east for that northeast zone that opens next weekend, um, I don't think that that's going to be nearly as much of an effect because by the time it gets out there, it it dissipates quite a bit on the smoke. 
So the big thing out there right now is finding where has water. You know, we've been in such a big drought this year that a lot of places don't have as much water or any water. So the places that have water, we've got a good local population of birds, and uh, that's that's going to produce should produce really well if you find the spots that the birds are using. And then while I was in Wyoming, you know, I was starting to notice, you know, some gadwalls and some widgeons, some of those early migrators and talking to someone this morning in South Dakota, they're seeing the same thing. Those, those early birds that move a lot by the day length have already started moving. You know, they, they don't need a, a real cold temperature to move. They're going to start moving as the days get shorter. So we're going to start seeing those trickle in. And I really think the first good cold snap, those fish are, or those birds are really going to pile in. So, you know, a little bit of research for the first week or two while we still have the warm weather is going to help you get more birds. And then that first snowstorm, I think we're set up for a really good duck season. Well, I, I, by the way, I posted on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, an article I wrote for the Denver Post on the um, duck hunting up in North Park. It's a great population of resident ducks that up there, and you can set up decoys or you can jump shoot. And, you know, a lot of guys listening to this, Brad, are probably saying, boy, I'd love to get into duck hunting, but I don't have a big decoy set. I don't know how to call yet. Um, I always recommend booking a trip with a guide like you for that. But if you just want to get started, you can do some jump shooting with just a shotgun, can't you? Yeah, you can. And the the rivers and creeks up there provide really good opportunities for jump shooting because they've got a lot of cover along the banks. They're pretty windy. So you can kind of walk down a little way, stick your head out, see if you see any birds. If not, you know, sneak back and go down a little further and work your way up, and you're not spooking a lot of birds there. And, then, you know, while you're there in North Park, I know you've had the, the people from Lake John on here recently. There's some real good fishing going on. So the opportunity for a cast and blast trip is phenomenal up there. Oh, they're catching just huge trout up there, just giants. Brad, we got to let you go. If people want more information or want to book a trip with you, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me at Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or give me a call at 303-829-3998. We will talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks, Brad Peterson. By the way, I want to say again, a lot of the stuff Brad and I talked about, you can find on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. There's articles I've written. You may have to scroll through a little bit, but the duck hunting one is right there. <clears throat> and uh, the white bass at... Uh, the white, the white bass, uh, boy, there's a video there where we, uh, I go out there and just we just nail them. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to talk about Jackson Lake right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Getting to the Eagles early today, Kyle. I like that. Yeah, uh, get it out of the way uh, early. Don't ever get it out of the way. We love them. All right. <laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They're celebrating 65 years in the opening of new stores, one in Cheyenne, a new store in Loveland. If between now and the 4th, which is Sunday, if you stop by any Jack's store, you can enter to win 
uh, gift cards up to $1,000. You don't have to be present to win, and lots of other things. We're going to talk more about that later, but if you're out and about, stop by Jack's, enter to win, and check them out. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Jackson Lake State Park is Amy Brandenburg. Good morning, Amy. Hi, Terry. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I'll bet you it is a beautiful day out by Jackson Lake because it just gets beautiful there a lot. It does. We've been having some really great weather and blue skies, and it's been great out here. Now, before we get in, you guys have an announcement to make that is so awesome. I want to talk a little bit about a couple other things. And first off, Brad and I were talking about waterfall hunting. Uh, people who are just into waterfall hunting or even experienced waterfall hunters may not know, but Jackson Lake has some opportunities for waterfall, doesn't it? We do. So we have uh, some ponds up on the very north end of our park, and you just have to park at the marina and walk in. It's about a 10-mile, or not a 10-mile, a 10-minute walk. Uh, it's very easily accessible, and it does have some great duck hunting, especially now we we're starting to see a lot of ducks move in with, you know, these cold fronts that we're having in the evening, which is nice. Yeah, and there's opportunities. I imagine a lot of that they can find on Parks and Wildlife website, right? Yeah, absolutely. We also are bordered by uh, two state wildlife areas. So to the south, we have Andrick Pond State Wildlife Area. That's open on Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and all legal holidays. And then there's also Jackson Lake State Wildlife Area, which is open seven days a week up on the north end of our park. And because your camping is open year-round, what a great place to camp and have your waterfall hunting right there. Because, you know, waterfall hunters like to be out on the, out within their area or out where they're going to hunt very early in the morning as most hunters. And you don't have a drive then and just go right from your campsite. How much, do you keep quite a few campsites open year-round? We do. So right now, as of October 1st, we did close our three northern campgrounds. And then our three southern campgrounds are still open. Uh, they all have electric in them. And then we also have uh, eight very unique sites that we actually set up at Jackson Lake, which are hammock sites. So if people do want to bring their hammocks out, uh, even in the cold weather, I know people do still use them. We have eight sites that are specifically designated for hammock camping. Now, what about the water? I know the water levels are down, so you probably can't launch motorized boats, but I'll bet you could get out with kayaks and paddle boards. And you've got warm water yet and, and great beaches. Yeah, our beaches, because our water is so low right now due to the irrigation needs in the community, is that we do have really great beaches right now. So if you want to come out for the weekend and find your place in the sand and enjoy the water, this would be a great weekend to do it. Um, And we are also open to any non-motorized inspection-exempt vessels. So that would be like kayaks, canoes. You can find more information about any exempt vessels online. Those are the vessels that don't need an inspection through our Aquatic Nuisance Species Program. I'll tell you, anybody who couldn't get to Florida or Hawaii because of COVID, we're going to have 80-degree weather this next week. That big that beach at Jackson Lake is rated one of the top 10 state park beaches in the country. If you just want to lay a blanket on the sand, close your eyes, pretend you're at one of those other places, you probably won't get a better opportunity. Let's move on right now, though. Something special at Jackson Lake has happened. We've talked about it over the last year or so. You guys have applied for something called dark sky certification, and that has been made official. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's our our most exciting news that we've gotten in a really long time, and it's been about a a two-and-a-half-year process. And what we did is we applied for a couple grants through the Colorado Parks Foundation as well as uh, the Director's Innovation Grant through 
uh, GoCo, and we were awarded uh, $25,000 for the Dark Skies Initiative at Jackson Lake State Park. So what that entails is removing a lot of our big street lights, eliminating a lot of uh, unnecessary lights, and then uh, retrofitting some of the lights that we did want to keep for safety uh, with uh, lights that will uh, point downward and be fully shielded. They also have to be a certain color temperature as well, so we want kind of a warmer amber light instead of sometimes that very offensive white LED or blue light. Yeah, and so they went through this process. In fact, I think you had to do several revisions to your application. The application was like over 30 pages. Is that right? That's right. Our application that we submitted to the International Dark Skies Association was actually 37 pages long, went through several revisions. That includes uh, a lot of different recommendations from the community and support letters. It also includes um, writing to convince them that we should be a dark skies park and that we have all these really great opportunities, we're accessible to the public, and then show them the work that we did, as well as take measurements of the sky. So we use something called a dark uh, sky quality meter, and it actually measures how dark the sky is at the park. And, you know, people aren't used to watch looking at the sky during Uh, You know, when you get away from the light pollution, I live in Fort Collins on the edge of town, but still, I'm out in my yard at night, and I can see some stars, but the depth of what you see, try to describe what that sky looks like when you're in a true dark sky setting. Yeah, it's really incredible. You know, uh, unfortunately, the smoke has been kind of hanging around the last uh, uh, couple weeks, so we haven't gotten the exceptional quality that we normally get. But typically, especially in the wintertime, we get exceptionally clear skies at the park, and the Milky Way just floods the sky right above you. And the stars that are above you are just endless. You couldn't even begin to count them. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a sight. If people haven't been to a place where you've got that dark sky effect and just seen what it's like uh, when you get away from light pollution, it is if you want something that'll just take your breath away, you do have a few things going on in conjunction with this, I believe, too. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So one thing that we're trying to do is reach out to the community. Um, now that we're Dark Sky certified, we're going to start doing some outreach with the nearby towns and the county to hopefully get them on board with our Dark Skies initiative to make more people realize that uh, Eastern Colorado is a great place to be with this really exceptional opportunity to to see the stars and the night sky and to be able to experience that. We're also asking that people light their sight and not the night if they're coming camping with us. So we want people to be very cognizant of turning off their lights on their campers and turning out their lanterns. Uh, last night I was on night patrol and it was a near full moon last night. And, uh, you know, I stopped and I talked to quite a few people about having lanterns on their table and if they turn them off, they could probably see even better without the lantern because the moon was so bright. So we're really asking people to be, you know, cognizant of how much they're actually using light and what they actually need. Now, in October, don't you also have a special campground set up for people who want to come and view? We do. So uh, we are starting a little trial of in our Northview campground, which is actually currently closed right now, is once a month, typically during the new moon, which is when there's really no moon out and no moon visible and the skies are their darkest, is we're creating an opportunity for 10 campsites in our Northview campground for people to sign up first come, first serve and really experience a night sky. And that doesn't mean that you need to come with a big telescope. 
uh, a lot of times our, our other campers will bring their telescopes and are usually more than willing to, to share what they have. But even if you just want to come out and sit and really enjoy uh, the views, it's a great opportunity to do that. We also partnered uh, for our Dark Skies Initiative with Mile High Astronomy down in Denver, and they uh, hooked us up with a really great telescope that we're also going to set up and is going to be available for public use as well. And all people need to do to sign up for that is to call the Visitor Center between 8 and 4, 7 days a week, and they can sign up for that if there's still space available. All right. We are out of time, but I heard there was going to be some great meteor showers in October. What a great place to come out and watch them. That would be, I'll bet those things just are incredible out there. So, Amy, thank you so much. What a great opportunity. And it's nice to know all the different types of recreation and activities that Parks and Wildlife provide here in Colorado. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Have a great afternoon. You bet. That's Amy Brandenburg. Just a great opportunity. If you've never looked at the sky in a dark area like that when there's no moon. It's just, it's like what you see in the movies. It's just unbelievable. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoors, celebrating 65 years, growing up and still having fun. We'll take a time out, and we're going to talk more parks and wildlife right here in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're all the buttons today, Kyle. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> dire straits Terry from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors celebrating 65 years stop by any Jack's store and you can register to win gift cards up to $1,000 and prizes galore and that's through tomorrow the 4th so stop by if you're out about and visit a Jack's see what they're about let's go right to the phones uh, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Crystal Dryling good morning Crystal good morning Terry Hey, you know what, Crystal? I know you're you have nothing to do because you manage one open park and one potential park, and you have a a young a young one that just isn't that old. So you probably sit around just thinking about things to talk about and what you're going to do, right? Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for having no, me. No, we're gl- we're glad to have you. Hey, you know what? All kidding aside, um, you guys are in the process of about to. I don't know if we should say open, but have available the newest state park for people to begin experiencing it, aren't you? Yep, that's right. So um, we're talking about Fisher's Peak State Park, which is Colorado's next state park. And it's going to be Colorado's second largest state park down here in Trinidad. And we're probably just a few weeks away from people beginning to at least uh, get a dip a toe in the well you shouldn't say dip a toe in the water because it's not a water park it's a terrain-based park but to kind of go and see what it's going to be about is that right yeah so for this project we're doing things a little bit different than we have in the past um here in the next month or so hopefully a few weeks we are planning on opening a small portion of this large park it's a 19,200 acres overall but we want to get the public on the property. Um, there's so much excitement about this property. It's a gorgeous property. Um, it's a it's a big part of Trinidad's history. It's an iconic landscape just south of the city of Trinidad. And so to get folks out there, we've actually done some um, really quick work on the small piece of this park and are hoping to get the public out there sooner rather than later so they can experience just a bit of what is to come on this property. So we'll have some picnic areas. We'll have a 
a challenging hike that will be, you know, about a, a mile and a half in one direction. We'll have an easy hike with some um, interpretive signs and some picnic tables. And then also um, we'll have our an experience for our visitors that will be a beautiful constructed trail. We'll kind of let our visitors know of what's more to come as we develop um, this this great park. Well, you know, the timing of this park couldn't have been better with the <clears throat> The rush of people going outdoors, people aren't traveling on vacation, there's been less sports activities for the youth, and people have turned to the outdoors, whether it's hiking, fishing, hunting, camping, just getting out and picnicking. Colorado people love to go outdoors, so the timing couldn't have been better, and I think it was by almost by um, good fortune that you had decided, I think early on, you were going to fast track this park and not take the usual route. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You know, this project has been out of the norm from the beginning. It's a um, a newer concept. We have five partners that went in on this to actually make the purchase possible. It was a huge property. But we've got CPW, GOCO, um, the Trust for Public Land, the Nature Conservancy, and the City of Trinidad all partnered um, to purchase this property. And also with the dollars of sportsmen and sportswomen through the Habitat stamp. Um, and so we've got this new um, way of of acquiring a property and now this idea of still doing our due diligence, still um, being very careful about our ecological assessment, but we targeted this one section of the park early on in this project to to make sure that it's it's ready to open to the public. And so um, the excitement of the public, especially locals out here, to be able to set foot on a a blooming park, so to speak, rather than wait, you know, five or 10 or even more years till it's completely developed. So this is sort of a new, a new model that we're trying out. And so far, so good. The excitement is just incredible. Well, and you said the park is like around 19,000 acres, which has to make it one of the largest in the state. And I would think that, you know, being able to see part of it and see the you know, and get a kind of a concept in your mind what's going on that people can almost feel like they're part of the master plan for the park. Is that right? Yeah, that's our goal. And, you know, we'll have some interpretive signage there at the site once we open to to tell the story of what it is taking to open this, this state park. Um, I've also started to write a monthly column um, that goes out statewide to let people know Um, I guess my perspective and the perspective of those of us on the ground as we learn about this property and we've got endangered species, rare species, we've got um, unknown, you know, or very species that we know very little about so far. And so this is a property that we'll continue to explore and learn about for years to come. And it's exciting to bring the public in at the ground level and kind of take them on this journey with us. And so that's what we've been doing and and like i said so far so good lots of excitement so far well this is a huge swath of public land and and obviously there's going to be types of trails do you have a vision where you think it might go what's available now and what do you see available coming up in maybe the next year or two yeah so um, we definitely want to to let folks know that, again, with this sort of sneak peek opening um, that we have coming up, it is just going to be a taste. So certainly not going to be a day's worth of hiking or anything like that, but definitely um, some room to explore. But then coming up, I mean, I we definitely would see this 
property um, is being able to offer miles and miles of trail, hopefully for pedestrians and and bicyclists, probably non-motorized trail use. We anticipate a great hunting opportunity on this property in the years to come. Um, and maybe some camping, maybe um, front country and dispersed camping on this property. It's a very raw and relatively untouched property. It's a um, kind of a rugged terrain, um, but it's beautiful. And like I said, it, there's just so much diversity out there. We want to eventually give the public a sense of that diversity on this property. And I believe there are some hunting opportunities available this year. Is that right? That's right. We did, um, similar to our sneak peek opening, we did limited hunting opportunities. So essentially five hunters will be able to hunt um, basically one per season on this property. Um, and that will be this fall and through the winter. So That's pretty awesome. Now, if people want more information about this park, where would they go? Yeah, great question. So we have created a website just for this park for folks to to learn more and to watch the progress as we go through the master planning and, and open up phases of it. And that would be www.fisherspeakstatepark.com. Um, and then there will also be a small page um, for Fishers Peak State Park on our CPW website. But for the for the big story, for all the excitement, I would go to um, fisherspeakstatepark.com. All right. Crystal, we're out of time, but what a good – I'm just so happy to see no opportunities. We've got – a number of people getting outdoors, and we just need more resources and more outdoor activities, and this couldn't be coming at a better time. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Terry. You bet. Crystal Dryling. Get, you know, go check that out, uh, you know, Fisher's Peak, the sneak peek. I wonder if they're spelling that P-E-E-K or P-E-A-K, but go to fisherspeak.com. Check it out. Lots of great opportunities. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors, you know, anything. If you're kayaking, fishing, hunting, camping, grilling, they've got it all. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Austin Parr is going to join us. We're going to talk fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're in the gamut of things today, my friend. You're listening to... That's right. Oh, you certainly can you're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors, the 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones, and I'll bet he's a Garth Brooks fan. We're joined by Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. So are you a Garth Brooks fan? I would say so. Yeah, you might. I thought you might. I didn't know what kind of you've never. We've never talked about what kind of music you're into. We're, <laughs> we're always too busy talking fishing and hunting when we get together. Too many other so. things to talk about. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. And this time of the year, especially, my friend, um, oh, yeah. I know you're an avid hunter. It's got to be tough for you to, um, I know you want to be out there. We've got waterfall. We've got birds coming up. We had doves. We've got the different elk and big game archery and rifle seasons are starting. We've, it's just everywhere. And yet we have some of the best fishing of the year, don't we? Yeah. At the same time that all of those hunting opportunities are going on, there's a, a changing time right now, and especially as we start to get a little bit colder, it really is going to turn on fire when it comes to some good fall fishing for all sorts of different species across the whole state. Well, yeah, and I think what has happened, we got that cold snap back in the first part of September that was really early, and that dropped the water temperature significantly, maybe not quite to the 
to the temperatures we want for the big fall bite. But it got the fish thinking about it, and things started changing. Then we got warm weather, and we still have warm weather, but the nights have been cold, and the daylight hours are short. So those temperatures haven't come back up. In fact, they've actually dropped a little bit in most places overall. And we're just on the cusp now of where people, you just don't put your fishing rods away, right? Yeah, I mean, right now, last couple of weeks have been somewhat consistent as far as slightly lower numbers than we would we would normally be used to, but still catching some really high-quality fish. But the thing that we're seeing is that there's fish all across the board. Some lakes are beginning to, to kind of look at the turnover process here pretty quick. We'll be seeing that pretty quickly, and that will really scatter some fish. But once we can get a little bit of cooler weather, I was just looking at the, at the weather there. It looks like in the next week or so, tail end of, of that 10-day forecast, it may be starting to get a little bit chillier. But that is really going to get these fish concentrated and eating some of these wounded bait fish that we're seeing all across the entire state when it comes to warm water fisheries. And even lakes like Chatfield that have been uh, lacking bait fish for the last several years really all of a sudden have a strong population, and it has really turned the overall health of these fish completely in the opposite direction of what we were seeing. So we were seeing very skinny fish for several years, and even in just the last couple of weeks, it is a noticeable difference with fish that are much more reminiscent of uh, fish coming out of Cherry Creek, so very thick, very healthy, and eating things like jigging wraps, blade baits, and spoons, which they normally should be eating this time of year as well. Okay, give me a few. If you're headed out, you know, a lot of people got – Broncos don't play tomorrow. They got, they're going to fish today and tomorrow, and a lot of people are off during the week. Where are a few of the places you would head to? So Chatfield has been pretty darn consistent lately. Not crazy numbers at all, but we're finding fish scattered everywhere from the no-wake zone all the way to the north side of the lake on a lot of the standard consistent structure points as well as in deeper water. So out there guiding yesterday, I caught fish in as shallow as 8 feet, and I caught them in as deep as 28 feet and didn't really find a heavy concentration in any one particular spot. So the whole key to the situation is moving and finding active fish, catching some fish on that spot, and then continuing the process. And then we also caught fish along some of the roadbeds where we were doing more of a strolling technique. So for folks that aren't familiar with that, it is a snap jigging technique with jigging wraps and blade baits. But we're moving the boat along these structure points and utilizing the movement of the boat to pick up slack line rather than physically reeling. So it allows you to cover a decent amount of water. And techniques like that also work at Cherry Creek and some of those edges. There's great transitional edges out there that that go for uh, fairly significant uh, lengths. So you can work right along those brake lines on that strolling technique, keep your boat right on the edge of the brake, and snap those jigging wraps and blade baits all the way down and try and find active fish as you go, particularly with fish that aren't overly aggressive on one particular spot right now. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I love to do is I'll do the strolling technique with either a a jigging wrap, a blade bait, or I used to use a lot of jigging spoons, which are still very effective. And when I, and you'd get some of the biggest fish. In fact, recently, Karen and I got some huge smallmouth doing that at at, uh, Horsetooth. And you can locate fish. And then with today's modern trolling motors, when I locate fish and we're both hooking up, I immediately hit the spot lock and we sit there and fish them vertically for a while and it can be phenomenal absolutely and that's a great way to find active fish particularly on a lake you may not be the most uh, familiar with where you can cover a flat area and it works even at places like pueblo mcconaughey it works really well anywhere that i'm snap digging walleyes it is a technique that's slightly different that we don't talk about a whole lot but one that uh, especially we've been been really employing a lot lately and having a good degree of success with 
What what differentiates it to you? How do you define it as different? What do you do? So what we're doing is typically keeping my boat for a jigging wrap in about the half mile an hour range. Blade baits will go slightly slower, but uh, approximately Lindy rig speed. And with the blade baits, I typically have better success with my rod tip up and just small little flicks of that rod tip. No reeling, just letting your, your boat pick up your slack. On the jigging wraps, I tend to have more success on the sideways snap. But typically, I try and keep my line with the jigging wrap more at a 45-degree angle, similar to how you would a bottom bouncer. And with that sideways snap, it, it's kind of an in-between from the, the immediate rod tip up presentation like you'd be casting and an immediate sideways snap on a long-distance long cast. So it, it's an in-between rise as far as the action is concerned, but I'm sitting there giving it a sharp, aggressive snap and then letting that line fall back on slack line and, and repeating the process. Whereas with the blade bait, I'm typically on a little bit longer cast behind the boat with just the light little flicks and using that to cover water as well. But a lot of times I'm either doing one or the other. Typically, you need to go faster for the jigging wrap and slower for the blade bait. So if you're doing one, pick one of those techniques. And if you want to adjust, uh, adjust your speed accordingly. Now, the fish will tell you the cadence, and I want to move on to some other bites. But the biggest mistake I think most people make is they don't snap it aggressively enough. Yep, you have to hit it hard. Yep, I, I couldn't, you know, people get, they try to twitch it. you got to snap it, give it some action. So where else? We've got a couple minutes left. Just go through some bites that people might want to head for. Yeah, so water's dropping a little bit of spinning, but that bite's still been worthwhile. We've been hearing fantastic reports from Antero lately. Uh, not only are we seeing good rainbows and cut bows, but also some browns and splake that have been appearing as of late. So those guys have been doing really well on Tasmanian Devils as well as tube jigs, both on the shore and, and boats. Shore fishermen have been having great success uh, bait fishing right there as well. But uh, in that same particular area, we'll start seeing some kokanee coming up on the dream stream pretty quickly. But from some of the reports we've been, you and I have both been hearing, uh, it seems like we're about two to three weeks behind on that. So you may want to wait just a little bit before you head out after those browns. Maybe focus my attention if I'm looking for brown trout more on the Arkansas River right now. The Arkansas provides fantastic fish that are always there. You're not relying on a lake run, obviously. And you can do everything from small stream dry fly fishing up top to big nymph rigs and streamers as you move down lower toward the Buena Vista and Salida area. And the beautiful thing about that is a lot of times these tailwaters and, and lake run type things get so crowded. And you can get away from that completely on the Arkansas. There's so many state wildlife areas and so much access that whether you're a conventional fisherman or a fly fisherman, that's a fantastic spot this time of year. Oh, really great with the browns. It's just tremendous. And you mentioned there's probably not... You know, we talk about spring being big fish, but there's probably not a better time for big trout. Uh, places like Lake John and Antero, and, and you yep. mentioned spinny. There's probably not a better time than right now. And fly fishermen and conventional anglers both tend to use too small of presentations this period of time. Big streamers, whether you're fishing for any of those brown trout or, or big cupos, when you're talking about the fly rods, big jerk baits and jigs on the uh, on the conventional techniques. And then the other thing to not overlook for those same type of techniques this time of year is lake trout, especially if you're a shore angler that's looking to target big fish. Lake trout at places like Jefferson, Twin Lakes, Turquoise, all will be turning on on the fall spawn and getting shallow as we're moving through the, the early and mid part of the fall here. All right. We are out of time, my friend. If people want more information, where do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. 
All right. Great information as always, Austin. Thanks for joining us. Austin. Harry, thanks so much for having me. You bet. And by the way, that big trout bite, Chad and I talked about that last week. And I have a link to the podcast to that uh, particular article on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you want to chase big trout, you may want to go listen to that podcast. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us. And we're going to talk hunting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.